The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Good morning. Welcome to the 10 a.m. service today. Glad you're here. Excited you made it. Way to go, everybody. Um, Hey, I want to take a moment and pray for Snohomish. Some of you maybe are aware, some of you may not be, but we're actually one church in two locations. We're here, and then we have a campus in Snohomish that was launched in September. And um, I just want to take a moment and pray for them. Pastor Andrew and Amanda, somebody asked me this morning, I haven't seen them in a while. I'm like, maybe you're not aware that they're over. Anyway, but uh, they're heading up that campus in Snohomish, and it's going great. They actually meet at the Performing Arts Center at Snohomish High School. But uh, I just want to pray for them if we could. So God, today... Uh, again, to, as a church together, we're just really about helping people see your love, God, your, your work and, and hearts. And we pray your blessing over all that's going on in Snohomish, even as they've kind of wrapped up service just now, that God, you would surround them, encourage them, pray for Andrew and Amanda, Kyle and Emily, just the team over there. Pray that you would encourage them, God, and help them, God, to accomplish your mission. Thank you for all you're doing the Grove Church in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, today's a great day, and I'm excited because we're in a series called Lights, Camera, Action. Uh, today's part two. But before we get to that, I want to take a moment and celebrate something. Um, oftentimes when we do baptisms, we celebrate baptisms, or when we do um, a call for salvation and people raise their hands to invite Jesus to be the Lord of their lives, man, we celebrate that, and uh, life groups or whatever, we celebrate different steps people take. But a couple of Sundays ago, we challenged everybody to consider taking a step in their giving, and we've said this, that we believe the work of God has always been provided for by the people of God. And so it's fun, as I talk with our bookkeeper a little bit, um, that people are taking steps, and that's a great thing. And, and honestly, part of that is just looking to see what God does in all of our hearts as we take this journey together of taking steps, whether it be, again, salvation, baptism, getting connected in groups, serving, or even giving. So just want to celebrate that for a moment. Um, We're going to be in Acts chapter 4. So if you got a Bible, you can turn there. I say often, I encourage you to bring a Bible. I know with technology, you got smartphones with Bible apps, and that's great too. But uh, Acts 4 is where we're going to land. I've mentioned a few times that that early on, or when I was younger, um, I wanted to be an actor. And my goal was to graduate from Marysville Pilchuck and, and head down to LA and bus tables and audition and, you know, see what would happen. And, and then at the end of my junior year, um, I encountered Christ in a pretty significant way and, um, and realized that, man, I, I need to surrender my life. And part of the idea of being an actor for me was, uh, like, you can get away from real life and stress and watch a movie or a sitcom and kind of forget how stressful life can be. And my thought was, honestly, I just want to do that for people. But then when, when uh, Christ came into my world, I realized that, boy, that's, that's a pretty big deal. And it's better than just a movie or something. And it matters not only in this life, but into eternity. And so that's how I ended up considering, like, man, maybe I want to be involved in ministry. So um, that's kind of where I'm at. But I still love watching great movies. Anybody out there really just love a great movie? Okay, yeah, like eight of us. Come on, what in the world? So, yeah, I mean, watching a great movie, it's fun. And uh, a lot of great movies have great actors. In fact, we call them A-list actors. And you have, you know, like Leonardo DiCaprio, and you think of, like, being on the front of the Titanic, and she's, I'm flying, you know, whatever. So there's that kind of stuff. Or, or, you know, other actors like Chris Pratt or Tom Cruise, Jennifer Lawrence. Um, My wife says I have a crush on Emma Stone. I don't really, but I just think she's talented. So, um, or Ryan Gosling, and all of a sudden the girls in here are like, Ryan Gosling's cute. But, okay, okay. 
when a movie has an A-list actor or actress in it, um, that movie has, has a, a, you know, it means something. It means that movie has a much greater chance at success, in fact, possibly becoming a blockbuster. And, and um, producers and directors will put, put, uh, put forward big bucks to really pay to have a great actor or actress in a movie because it's a big deal. And, and this may seem like a weird parallel, follow me here, this may seem like a weird parallel, but we find a story in Acts chapter Eight, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, in Acts chapter 8, where um, the, the apostles come to a certain place and they pray to, for individuals to receive the Holy Spirit and, and the, the, you know, they lay their hands and the Holy Spirit comes upon this group of people and it's amazing. But what happens is there's a guy named Simon who it says gave his life to Jesus, was also baptized, but when he saw that, that this could happen through the laying on of the apostles' hands, and he used to have a reputation of being this amazing person. He's like, I want that. And he literally says, you know, hey, could, could I, if, if I give you money, could I get that too? And he basically tries to buy the A-list actor. He tries to buy the Holy Spirit into his life so people can marvel at who he is. And it's kind of a weird moment, but it has to do with this idea, as we've said from part one last week, that when we look at the book of Acts, it's not just about the activity or the acts of the church it's even more so about the acts or the activity of the Holy Spirit guiding and doing a work within the hearts of the first century church. And what we're doing is we're looking at all that goes on in the book of Acts, and the goal is to help all of us realize these are not just things that happened 2,000 years ago. These are things where, man, we really need the Holy Spirit to work in our lives today. In fact, when you look at Acts 8, verses 15 through 17, it says this, when they arrived, talking about the leaders, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. It's a reminder that you and I need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that you and I are called to live a spirit-filled life. So Acts chapter 4 I'm going to read, we'll pray, and then we're going to walk through this today. Acts 4, starting at verse 1. The priests and captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day, but many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, rulers, elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a crippled man and asked our, how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, this man stands before you healed." He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone, which is a note out of uh, one of the Psalms, Psalm 118. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John 
and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that they had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men not to speak or teach any more in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But John and Peter replied, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's eyes for us to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help about speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. God, today, thank you for your work and God, your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, God. And my prayer is not just that we would understand this historically, but that, God, we could realize, Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit is available for our lives today that we can be different than we've been. So we invite you into this place in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, that was part 1 from last week, and we talked about the promise of the Holy Spirit that John the Baptist said, there's going to come one that will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire, and then Jesus in Acts 1 verse 8 says, wait, stay in Jerusalem, and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, and, you know, and this happens. So in Acts chapter 2, it's the fulfillment of it, and we talked about that, but what happens in Acts 3, after the Spirit is poured out and Peter stands up and the church becomes 3,000 basically in one day... In Acts 3, it says that Peter and John were going to the place of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. On their way to the place of prayer, they encounter a guy that's put there every day to beg for money. And Peter and John see him, and they look up, and Peter, he looks up, and Peter and John know he, he wants some money. But Peter says this, I don't have money, but what I have, I want to give to you. In the name of Jesus, be healed. And the guy's healed. He's a cripple. He's healed. And all of a sudden, he's walking. And it's absolutely incredible. Now, at the same time, here's this picture where the people around marvel at what's happening. And all of a sudden, they come you know, running and like, wait a minute, isn't this the guy that was healed? And all of a sudden, people are kind of making this commotion, and the religious leaders see what's going on. Peter has stood up at this point, preached an amazing message, and, and they're like, wow, incredible. At the same time, as the religious leaders get wind of this message, their attitude is definitely not the same. Before, or as Peter is speaking, the religious leaders are, are there to, to really rein in what's going on. And it says, the priests... And the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking. They were greatly disturbed, and here's why. Because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized them, and you can imagine, because if you, if you understand this, here's this religious crowd that think they took care of the problem by having Jesus crucified by having him killed. Like that's the end of that situation. If we take care of the leader, the problem will scatter or the problem will go away, disperse. And all of a sudden they realize that's not what's happening. In fact, they're sharing the story that this guy that was crucified is not actually dead and he's appeared to over 500 individuals and they're amazed at what's going on. Well, Peter is a different guy now. And just like I said last week, when Peter you know, is with Jesus for three years and he's all bold and he says these different things, Jesus has to rebuke him. At one point, at the Last Supper, 
He, you know, he says, hey, you, know, you all are gonna fall away on account of me. And Peter says, I'm not gonna. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, you're gonna deny me tonight three times. Peter's like, no, I'm not. Lo and behold, that's exactly what happens. Peter's dejected. He feels like a failure. He's back out fishing like he was before Jesus ever came on the scene. And Jesus comes back to him and, and again, performs kind of a miracle. And Peter realizes it's Jesus. And they have this conversation where Peter's basically reinstated, like, hey, I still believe in you. You're not a loser. But then he says, now go pray and, and let the Spirit fill you. So now I want you to notice, though, Peter is a very different person. In Acts chapter two, Peter preaches the first, you know, first century message or sermon of the church. And then he preaches the second and third. And it's absolutely incredible. Well, here, here he is doing it again. And the religious crowd is like, what is happening? This problem is happening all over again. I love in verse four, it says, many who heard Peter's message believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000. So the church is growing as time is going on here. It's not a lot of time, but as time is going on, then it says that the rulers met in Jerusalem. And I want you to notice in verse six, if you're taking notes, it says Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas were there. These are the same individuals that were responsible for Jesus you know, being crucified as you look back into the gospels. So it's the same names, and this is the same problem that's resurfacing. It says they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. What are you doing? Or, or, you know, by what name or what power are you doing this? And I want you to notice in verse eight, it specifically says, and Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Why do I say that? Because here's another description of this idea of Peter living the spirit-filled life. It says, he said, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today, for kindness shown to a crippled man, then you need to know this. And I asked how he was healed. Then you need to know this. You and all of Israel, remember Peter was an Israelite. He says, you and all of Israel need to understand something. God's trying to get your attention. And Peter, now filled with this boldness again, says, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man stands before you healed. Let me step back for a second and remind you, this is a different Peter than the one that denied Jesus. This is a spirit-empowered, a spirit-filled Peter who's bold about this message, and he's not making any bones about it. There's something about, let me just say it this way, there's something about when you and I encounter something amazing that you can't help but tell people. But this is different than just something amazing. This is an empowerment that I believe we all desperately need. This is an empowerment that takes you from living a nominal Christian experience to realizing that God's power is there for you, to fill you with boldness, to encourage you with, with, with that power to help you if you struggle with a certain habit that God is a deliverer through his spirit. That if you have an ailment, a sickness, why not bring it to the Lord because he's a healer? Why not bring this stuff to Jesus? If you have a, a, an addiction you're tripping over and can't seem to get past, why not say, God, here I am and I'm struggling and I invite you to fill me that I can overcome this. Why wouldn't we do that? See, what we see in the life of Peter is somebody who's very different. 
It's the guy who was enjoying the, the work of the Spirit in a way that if it's a Monday and somebody says to Peter, hey Peter, tell me about your weekend after all of his buddies have been sharing about their weekend and the pub crawl and the drunk 5K and the going out to Chelan and doing this and going over here and doing that in the summertime and all these fun things, that Peter isn't going to go, mm, I went to church. Well, I made it on time, even though the time changed. And it's tiring, but I was there. <sighs> wow, Peter, how can I have what you have? That's amazing. I'd be like, I'm going to keep going to Chelan. But here's Peter, and Peter's answer wouldn't be like that. Not because all of these miracles, but because there's something in Peter that he's got a dose of what I heard somebody say once, a dose of the I can't help it. When I realize, and this is my hope for all of us, when I realize how good God's been to me, when I realize that he set me free, when I realize he's healed me, there are people in this room that your story is you were delivered from alcoholism. There are people in this room that your marriage was on the rocks and on a scale out of one to 10, you were eking along at like a two, ready to go, maybe it's time to bail, and God healed your marriage. God brought an element of humility in you that allowed you to have conversations with your spouse so that things could be healed. God has done a work in this room in stories that are unbelievable, and I've heard them from certain people sitting here right now of miracles that God has done that when somebody shares with you, how is it possible in a world where it seems so hopeless that you still have hope? That you just answer that by going, mm, I don't know, it's just my disposition, I guess. That, that when, when you and I are plagued by you know, certain trials and, and stuff that comes our way and we can hold our ground, people go, how do you navigate that and still have peace? What do you say? Peter is making no bones about what's gone on in his life. People ask you, why do you go to church? People say to us all the time, well, what is your religion about? People bring, and they say in all kinds of ways. Heard you got spiritual or heard church means something to you. Or you're one of those church people. You attend, all, what do you say? That's just my jam? When you realize that God has done something significantly different in your life, maybe you should consider actually giving him credit when they ask. That there's something about how we live that's different. And there's nothing wrong when somebody asks us, tell me, why does that matter to you? Or what did you do this weekend? And there's something significant maybe that you're learning. I read the Bible, something popped out at me. That you could talk about, I know this sounds weird, and I know you may have not super spiritual, I don't understand everything, but you asked me what I was doing, I, I happened to wake up on Saturday, I was reading some scripture, and again, I know this is weird, I'm just learning, but I was reading this, and I just thought about, and here's what happened, and simple things, but ways that you can help the light come on for people that don't get it, that ultimately you could say, Jesus has changed me, something's different because of Jesus. And it's not that you can have every word to explain it all eloquently. It's just simply helping people realize that Jesus matters in your life, if he does. Peter.
Know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He's the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone, a prophetic word out of Psalm 118. But then he says this, for salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Well, what does that mean if you're not familiar with church world when we talk about Jesus, when we bring up this name Jesus, that we believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, what does that even mean? It means that you and I have a problem and the problem in our life is called sin. And the issue of sin is things that we've done wrong and there's a penalty to be paid for things that are done wrong. The, the, the beauty of this picture though is in all that we've done wrong, the Bible says Jesus paid the price on the cross for all of our sin. That you and I can be forgiven. We can have a fresh start. We can have peace that passes understanding. We can invite him to be our deliverer and our healer and provide all these amazing things. And on top of that, we can enjoy security that when we get to eternity, there's a, there's a, a relationship with God that will last forever. Is anybody else grateful for that besides me? And so when Peter says, let me be very clear, it's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And if you want a fresh start, if you want to be saved from sin, it's not about the good works you can do. It's not about trying to measure your sin against other people and go, well, I'm better off than they are. Peter says salvation. You being saved from the penalty of your sin, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That's where we find salvation. That's where we find God's grace to change our lives. And many of us in this room would say, I've given my life to Jesus. I've prayed and invited him to be my Lord. I've got that fresh start. I love that. A little bit earlier, I was talking to a friend in the lobby. He said, hey, I'm getting baptized coming up. Just after Easter, we're gonna baptize him. We're gonna celebrate. So I'm getting baptized. And he was talking about what God is doing in his life, the Holy Spirit at work in his life. He actually talked about that, that for a while it's been a roller coaster, but he's finally, the light's been coming on. He's taking a step, and I love that. It's that idea that we're taking steps. And for some of us in this room, let me just be honest with you. If I was to say, how do you know that you're right with God? How do you know you're forgiven? How do you know you, you, you can get a fresh start? Well, I've been a pretty good, oh, I'm changing some things. Well, I set some new goals, fine. But that's not really the answer. What have you done with Jesus is the question. And if you haven't given your life to faith in Christ, Paul's very clear that that's where salvation is found. That's where a fresh start begins. And if you're here today and you're not sure where you're at in that conversation, and maybe you've never made a commitment to faith in Christ, like we had a gal in first service, only been to church twice, gave her life to Jesus this morning. And for some of you in this room, yeah, you could clap for that. And for some of you in this room, maybe that's you. I haven't been here much or, you know, I've never really invited Jesus in. I've just been part of kind of church or whatever. Or maybe you've done this thing. I've prayed that thing and just kind of didn't stick or however you say it, whatever. But, but today, if you're here today and you go, you know what? I want to invite Jesus in. I'm going to give you a moment to do that because I think that's a big deal. If you say, I want a fresh start, I want a clean slate. I want to invite Jesus to be my savior. Then in a moment on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and invite Jesus in. So if you know, you go, I don't know where I'm at, or whatever your excuse or your thought or your process might be, if you want a fresh start today, if you want to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you want to be saved, salvation, as Peter says, is found in no one else, 
And if that's you on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. I want to invite Jesus in. Okay. One, two, three. Anyone else? Four, five, six. You guys can put your hands down. Anyone else besides those six? Invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Somebody itching his head, so not you, but. Okay. I want to do this. If you raise your hand, I want you to pray with me. And if you've prayed this prayer before, you've invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, I want you to pray with us. But if you're one of those six that raise your hand, I want you to pray. Just say, Jesus, thank you for what you've done for me. Come into my life and forgive me of all of my sin. I want to start fresh with you today. Be my savior from my sin and be my Lord that I can follow you each day. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Would you give a hand to six people who just said yes to faith in Christ? Amen. I love how the scripture actually tells us there's a party in heaven over one, so it's a six times over party right now. Um, But I think that's so... Uh, so, so cool. I'm going to continue on here in Acts chapter four, but, but let me make this comment real quick. If you were one of those six that raised your hand and you prayed to invite Jesus in, on your way in the doors today, you should have received a connect card. And I, I would just ask you, would you mark that on there? Because what we want to do is we have a couple of steps that really, I think, help with some follow-up, some steps you can take. And so if you would just mark that on there and let us know, we want to follow up with you because we think it's super important for you to understand. There's a few things intentionally that would be super important for you to know. So mark that on the card and we'll turn those in towards the end of service. So, So Peter says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And look at verse 13. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, the reason that's a big deal is because it was a Sanhedrin, it was a religious leaders that were not unschooled. They were not ordinary, they were special, they were elite. They're like, how can these guys be so amazing when they're not elite like us? Literally, that's kind of the deal. And it says, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. What I love though, is it really goes a step further than that. For, for Peter and John, it wasn't just like, oh, they've been with Jesus. It's literally now that the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus is living inside of them. So they take note, like, wait a minute, what is it about these guys? But since they could see the man who had been standing there with them, there's nothing they could say. And I love that. You can imagine the guy like, they work. But, but look at this. They ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they've done an outstanding miracle. We can't deny it. But here's the answer. To stop this thing from spreading any further, this thing about Jesus, we must warn these men to speak no longer in this name. So they called Peter and John back in and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Knock it off! Peter and John go, absolutely, we're sorry. That's not what they did. I love it. I love what they do. Excuse me. Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. But for us, we can't help but speaking about what we've seen and heard. We can't help but speaking about what we've experienced, what we've seen and what we've heard. We can't help it. Peter is no longer going to make the mistake of denying Jesus and feeling like a fool out rowing a boat. Peter's like, look, there's people that need to know this. 
There's family members in your family. There's people that live around you. There's individuals you work with every single day that the light hasn't come on yet, but it's up to you. This is why spirit-filled living is such a big deal, that you're just not another part of the crowd, another person, another individual that just goes along with whatever. You're an individual that's called to shine the light. Didn't Jesus remind us that we're lights? That we're cities on hills? That we're supposed to be the salt of the earth? What about that? He says, we can't help it. When I realize Jesus did something significant, I want people to realize it. And whether the light comes on for them or not in that moment isn't up to me. It's just up to me to, to say it when I need to say it. On their release, sorry, let me, let me go back just for a second. After further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. I'm like, wait a minute. Like an age discrimination verse? Like what, miracles can't happen if you're over 40? I just had to stop there because I'm like, hold on a sec, because I'm over 40 and it hurts. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. And I'm not going to read the prayer, but I want you to notice at the end. They, they prayed this, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There it is again. And spoke the word of God boldly. I don't believe that the outpouring or the filling of the Holy Spirit is a one-time event, first of all, in history. But second of all, I don't believe it's a one-time event in any of our lives. That over and over, as we face different things in our lives, why not go back to the well again and again and again? Why not go back to the place of power and invite Jesus into our circumstances? Hey, today, Lord, I'm no longer an alcoholic. I have victory. But today, God, I'm struggling with some anger. Jesus, would you help me? Lord, today, I no longer deal with this or that. My marriage is no longer this situation. But God, today, I'm really not being a very good witness at work by giving in to those jokes that don't shine the light. Lord, and whatever it might be, Lord, would you empower me? Would you fill me? Would you do something in me that my life can be different than it's been? I desperately want people to see you. They prayed. God, here's what's going on. Here's a world that doesn't get it. But Lord, would you, would you fill us and enable us to speak with boldness about what you're doing in our lives? We want people to see you. We want people to know you. As Acts continues into chapter five and six and seven, there's, there's all these different stories of Stephen who stands up and preaches an amazing message. It says, filled with the spirit. And as you get to Acts chapter nine, chapter Acts chapter nine, you have, have Saul who's persecuting the church, approving of the killing of Christians. And then he encounters Jesus. And it says he falls on his face. He repents and gives his life to Christ. And, and as the story continues, Ananias is commissioned to pray for him. And he's like, I don't want to pray for him. He's killing Christians. He's going to kill me. And the Lord says, pray for him. And it says that when he was prayed for, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, 
Another story. And this is Peter who goes to the Gentiles so far from Acts 1 through 8 that the the Holy Spirit has only been poured out on the nation of Israel as people become believers and the power is there. But, But then in Acts chapter 10, you have this moment where Peter is literally sharing the gospel with a bunch of Gentiles, people that didn't come from the nation of Israel. And it says, as Peter is preaching that sermon, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and they were all filled. And it's that reminder as you look at the whole of history that the Holy Spirit is at work throughout the history of the church, not just in the book of Acts. Let let me say this, as you study church history, if you really want to get into it, you can see over and over through 2,000 years, you can follow the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and what it did to impact this world. And some easy examples I can give you is, is back in London during the plagues and people are dying and it was as simple as they weren't washing their hands and the issue was, was spreading all over and literally people are freaking out and dying and moving out of London. But guess who was moving into London? In the same window of time, the people moving into London were people that knew how bad it was, knew their lives were on the line, but were willing to go into London and share the gospel with masses amounts of people that were dying and they died too. As you continue to look at history and and you study where where hospitals came from, what you'll find is it was believers in Christ who didn't simply follow the way of the world and people that say, well, karma, it's karma. If you live in poverty, you live with ailments. If you live with problems, that's because you did something in a previous life and you deserve that. Some of you don't understand how karma works because we use it so weirdly and flippantly. It's not okay. Oh, that's just what they deserve. And it was the Christian church who was sent all over the world to go into orphanages, to go and establish orphanages and hospitals to make people's lives better because it's the grace of God who says everybody should be saved. Everybody should have Jesus. It should matter to everyone. Go throughout church history and you'll find that it was Christians who when people were fleeing and going the other direction, Christians were going in to shine the light of Christ. And I believe it's only by the Holy Spirit that could do that, that that could happen. How much more in the day that we live in do we need the Holy Spirit to fill us that we can live spirit-filled lives, spirit-led lives, that something can be different than instead of just going through the motions of life and existing and while my goal is heaven someday, great. That as we live every single day, what if we lived led continuously by the Holy Spirit. What I want to do is simply this. First of all, when we pray in a moment, and I'm going to ask every one of us to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to fill us. But before we get to that, I want to simply say this. You can go, well, how, how does that work? And my simple answer is this. I don't know. I don't know how it works. All I know is that I find it true in my own life. And I find it true in the stories of so many lives in this room that as we learn to live filled with the Holy Spirit, God does something different with the impact. And I don't know how it works. All I know is that it does. It's like, I can't explain to you when I turn my key, why it starts and why I put it in a certain place. I go forward. I can't explain because I'm not a mechanic. I just know it works. And so I want to simply bring this invitation to all of us. I think it's super important for us to understand the need to live spirit-filled lives. And I think we need to be willing to say, Jesus, would you fill me that I can be different? Would you fill me that I could see differently, that I could think differently? And some of you, when you pray a prayer like that, maybe it's that you would be delivered of those things that hold you up or hold you back.
Maybe for some of you, when you pray that prayer, maybe it's the need for you to be healed because you got something going on and and yeah, doctors are great and medicine, that's fine, but maybe God wants to do a supernatural miracle that way. For some of you, like maybe it's healing in relationships or dealing with anger and addiction or whatever, provision, whatever it might be. What would it look like for you and I to live spirit-filled lives? And can we pray that prayer together before we end service today? Father, as we bow our heads here for a few moments, God, I believe there's something so significant. And I'm not here at all, I don't believe, to explain how it works because I don't get it. We could talk about it, we can see it, there's evidence of it in the book of Acts and in church history, and those are amazing things, but I don't quite get it. All I know is, as we make the invitation, I believe something changes. I guess it's probably similar, Lord, when we pray to invite Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, that we get a fresh start and we don't necessarily always feel it, but we believe something's different, that we get a new beginning because of your grace, because of salvation. And so today, God, together, and if you're here and you're just praying, I just pray this right kind of under your breath, pray it out loud. Jesus, we invite you today to fill us as people, to fill us as the body of Christ, to fill us as the church. God, with your power, that we live spirit-filled lives, that there's different things about how life plays out that can change because of the work of your spirit in us. We acknowledge the value of it in the book of Acts, but we also value the acknowledge of it as we live out each day that we're alive. Jesus, we need you. We invite you into our lives, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.